Dudes of Kung Fu. Alright, welcome to Dudes of Kung Fu. Hey, welcome back everybody. We're uh, back in better than ever and we got a lot to talk about tonight. We made it to our third episode without being cancelled. Right, listen, you know, some TV shows they'd be dying for that. And they, <laughs> you know, I mean, look at Nashville, it only made through four seasons. You know we're going to have better than four seasons. Yeah, my wife was very upset about that. She loves that show. I'm very upset about that. I love that show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm I'm a real dork for Nashville, but anyway, back to kung fu. No one here, no one listening cares about my beloved country music. Uh, you have any, anything new on uh, on your end in the exciting world of Jeet Kune Do? Well, the best thing, the best thing about Jeet Kune Do is that it's reinvented every hour by every instructor that just got invented by himself in his basement because he hits a heavy bed. So they can reinvent and make their own new Jeet Kune Do's every time. It's, um, well, I suppose that's the good and bad thing about Jeet Kune Do is that, I guess, according to the founder, uh, you know, there's a, there's a certain amount of creativity that's needed in order to be a true Jeet Kune Do artist, but that's probably also the problem why everybody can basically say they're doing Jeet Kune Do and they can say, well, see, it's my own Jeet Kune Do, so it must be right. Yeah, you know the cool thing about, well, I should say the odd thing about that? Is no one can show me. I mean, it's 6,000 pages of notes where Bruce Lee says, hey, go out and create your own Jeet Kune Do. It's just not in the notes. I mean, everybody likes to throw that um, expression, absorb what is useful, reject what is useless, and add what is specifically your own. I think that's one of the, in my opinion, mis most misunderstood concepts in Jeet Kune Do. I've done a, you know, I researched Jeet Kune Do not as a historian, which I respect the whole historian aspect of it, but I don't research Jeet Kune Do as a his, from a historical perspective. I, I researched Jeet Kune Do from a fighting and teaching perspective. So one of the things I did look for was that expression, absorb what is useful, reject what is useless, and add what is specifically your own. And in over 6,000 pages of notes, I found it once. Right. Literally once in 6,000 pages. So it became famous um, because it was hung in the Filipino Kali Academy run by Guru Dan. And it's a, you know, it's a, a brilliant concept. And it's, uh, it, 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 in my opinion, is almost like the uh, focal point of Guru Dan's life's work. And, and, you know, I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying I don't know how much... In Bruce Lee's eyes, he expected people to create their own uh, Jeet Kune Do. Right. Well, I mean, I suppose that that's the uh, million-dollar question right there. I mean, definitely Bruce Lee was about expressing yourself and about finding your own way. But I think that probably what's lacking with a lot of people is that I think he expected people to really dig deep and really train uh, their martial art very hard and very deeply and really try to understand it and I think there are a lot of people who think uh, you know they do something like a couple times and they're like alright well that doesn't work for me so I'll just go on to the next thing and basically it's kind of an excuse for them not to dig deep into the individual let's say technical aspects of, of, of either Jeet Kune Do or other martial arts when they just say okay I don't like that well I'm not going to do it well this is you know uh, this is useless for me so I can just move on to the next thing and uh, they haven't even really um, gone deep enough to actually make a judgment and I think that there are a lot of people it also happens in Wing Chun um, because Wing Chun is supposedly a martial art where you can learn how to fight very quickly so people think that if they teach themselves the forms uh, in two months suddenly they uh, they know everything about Wing Chun and uh, you know they can move on to the next thing so uh, you know I think people kind of use some of these philosophical statements as an excuse not to really dig deep and really research the way I think Bruce Lee probably would have wanted people to do. I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, I, I agree 100%. And I love, the line, I love what you said about the philosophical statements because I think people forget that Bruce Lee targeted his statements to his audience. So what he may have said on a talk show to try and sound philosophical and, and um, forgive the term, I don't know how best way of saying it, Asian it up a little bit, he would spew all these philosophical statements to kind of capture the imagination of his audience. Right. And I think a lot of that is different than what he said to the guys that were in his backyard training, you know. Um, and I, you know, the other thing I want to address in what you said is the uh, 
people are learning the form in two months. I'd love to. We should. We could have a whole podcast about that. You know, I know some really well-meaning Wing Chun people that you know when I talk to them and I'm saying, oh, you know, I, I, they 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 call me up and they'll ask me questions or contact me on Facebook and they'll ask me questions. Hey, when you do you know the poll, you you do this or that kind of question. And I'll start to chat with them, and I'll say, oh, how long are you doing Wing Chun? And they're like, oh, six months. And I'm like, why are you even touching a long pole? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know, like I, I'm still learning long pole myself. You know, I'm not, I'm not on Alex's level when it comes to Wing Chun at all. I'm nowhere near it. So I'm learning the pole myself. And when I say I'm learning the pole myself is I've learned from my Sifu the basics of the pole. I've learned the form. I've learned some of the drills. And now I'm learning it. I'm, it's going to take me time till I feel comfortable right. with the pole. And guys are, that are doing Wing Chun for six months, a year, call me up asking beauty questions and pole questions and are shocked when I tell them, nice, sorry. I may own a couple of sets, but I'm not qualified to speak about those at all. Well, I can tell you a really funny story from my own teaching experience. Uh, this was probably about 10 years ago. We had a student who uh, uh, basically, I, I mean, it's not to disparage the way the guy looked or anything because I teach people of all sizes and shapes and backgrounds or whatever, but let's just say this guy was a slightly older guy. He wasn't necessarily in shape, and um, but he's kind of, he was one of those guys you got the impression from the beginning that he looked in the mirror and he saw Bruce Lee and Arnold Schwarzenegger wrapped into one, sure. uh, whereas the rest of the world kind of saw this like me. <laughs> no, no, not, 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 not even this guy had like the glasses, you know, with the, with the croquis that would like hold the glasses in place. Right, 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 and right. He would like, you know, he was just like, and he was socially very awkward, and and you know, he was he probably um, in his mid fifties or whatever, but he didn't take very good care of himself, and but you had the impression that he thought. He was like a UFC heavyweight champion. Like in his mind, he would tell stories about how he used to do karate back in the day, and he's so great, and so on and so forth. Well, anyway, he had come to me from another Wing Chun school where he had uh, learned uh, the the forms, you know, Sinum Tao, Tumki Beauty, Wooden Dummy, um, within six months. There used to be a school in New York that was notorious for that, where you would go there, and within a few months, you were doing the Wooden Dummy, and you were doing pole, but... Um, if somebody even threw a basic jab at them, they couldn't even defend it. But, you know, they sure could stand there and do all the forms. Right, sure. So anyway, he comes to my school because he wants to learn how to actually do it. And, uh, you know, in a very nice way, we kind of showed him that um, despite the fact that he knew the dummy, you know, knew the dummy and, and, and uh, these other forms, that uh, he couldn't, as, as the RZA from the Wu-Tang Clan would say, he couldn't fight his way out of a wet paper bag with scissors in his hands. And... Uh, <laughs> He, 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 you know, and he kind of like acknowledged it, and then, so he took lessons for about a month, and after a month, he, uh, he came, he came up to me and he goes, um, uh, "Can I, can I buy a long pole from you?" Right, and I'm just thinking the same thing like you were saying, like, well, first of all, this guy didn't even didn't even pass the first exam as a basic student in our school, and he's asking me about the long pole, and you know, for our listeners who don't know, you know, long pole in Wing Chun is you know, part of the advanced course, it's, it's something that was only taught to the more senior students, and it's not something that's kind of divulged openly. And I said, well, sure, you can definitely buy a long pole for me. I mean, I'm also a businessman, um, but just out of curiosity, uh, what are you going to do with said pole, right? <laughs> what do you plan on hanging with it, hanging from it in your room? <laughs> exactly. Is it going to be like like in Hong Kong, like the, the, the laundry sticks that are hanging out the windows? You know? So uh, he says, well, um, I'm going to practice the pole, like I'm teaching myself the pole from a video, um, just like I taught myself the, the, the wooden dummy, the Mokyan Jong, or as he said, the Jang. <laughs> so it's like, you know, if you're going to espouse to do something, you should at least learn to pronounce it like somewhat correctly, right? right. Um, so anyway, I just thought, at this point, I was like, he can't even stop a straight punch, um, and he constantly acknowledges that he's so happy to be in our school because he's actually learning how to use it. But at the same time, uh, oh, I wanna, I wanna learn the pole, and I wanna teach and teach myself the pole. It's like, well, you're learning from me. I mean, eventually, if you're qualified, I'll teach it to you. You don't have to teach yourself from a video. 
Right. And uh, and so I said, well, okay, go ahead and show me your wooden dummy form first, because I just I just really had to see this at this point. And he showed me the wooden dummy form, and he got through the first ten movements. And I said, just stop. I go, look, you did ten <laughs> movements, and I counted nearly ten mistakes per movement. I go. Why don't you focus right now on really learning the basics and really grasping that? And, and when you have the basics down, it's actually easy to learn wooden dummy. It's easy to learn Buji, provided you have the foundation. I mean, uh, I don't know if you agree with this, but um, the way I look at it, advanced Wing Chun is not advanced because it's complicated or it's uh, super intricate. It's advanced only because it requires certain fundamentals to be able to do it. So it's not like... Uh, in, in some Kung Fu styles, the advanced forms are like they flips and they're really crazy and they have more intricate movements. Advanced Wing Chun is just a consolidation of basics. So you need basics first before you can do this advanced stuff. I mean, would you? Would you agree? I absolutely agree. I always, I always say, and, and I use, I always use Jeet Kune Do, not Wing Chun, but I think uh, on this topic, it's spot on similar. I, I always say, um, advanced quote unquote advanced Jeet Kune Do is just basics Jeet Kune Do done correctly. Right. You know, and too many people like look for look for advanced movements, advanced techniques, and they can't throw a jab. They can't throw a straight lead. They don't understand the the mechanics of a straight lead. You know, there are there is a correct way and an, and many 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 incorrect ways of throwing a straight lead, and you're not going to learn it, in my opinion, the correct straight straight lead from a videotape from a YouTube video from a book I think books videos YouTube things like that can act as a good resource for people but you need someone to show the stuff to you sure. and the, like you know the, the biomechanics of what we do are important I know in in JKD you know we we spend a lot of time on um, you know on the, on the timing of of, of certain movements on on uh, the the transfer and the shifting in weight and um, things to that effect are just things you can't pick up these little idiosyncrasies through a YouTube video but sure. what, what I really want to ask you is would you say that the one of the biggest misunderstandings in Wing Chun is that that you can learn the system by knowing the forms absolutely and I think that the, the, the promise of Wing Chun, at least in the classical sense, was that, you know, it, uh, unlike many of the other traditional martial arts, you don't need to spend three or four years doing it before you start learning how to actually use it. Like, Wing Chun kind of starts to address this essentially from the beginning, but that doesn't necessarily require that you know the advanced forms. I mean, if you learn how to, you know, punch down the center and use aggressive uh, simultaneous offense and defense and how to jam in with your footwork and close the gap, um, these are basic skills in Wing Chun that will serve you well in practical fighting and you can learn this already when you're a beginner. You don't need to have Buji or Wooden Dummy to be able to do that and I think the problem is that in order for people to get good at those basics, they have to practice them and that right. kind of practice is not sexy, it's kind of boring, it requires a lot of repetition and I think people are kind of in a race, at least in Wing Chun, you know, they. They're doing the first form and they're looking at the guys doing the second form. They're doing right. the second oh, yeah, form sure. and they're looking at the guys doing the more advanced cheese style. They're doing Buji and they, they're looking at the guys doing wooden dummy and it's like, like um, you know, like Yoda said, it's like you know, always your 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 mind was on something else and never where you are or where you are now, you know. And and this right. is a classic problem in Wing Chun and um, I, I think that people mistook that you can learn how to fight with Wing Chun or defend yourself with Wing Chun with that you can just, I mean, anyone can go on YouTube and teach themselves the choreography of the Wing Chun forms pretty quickly. That doesn't mean anything. Right. Um, I, one of the things I love to tell my uh, friends that come over here is if, if the form, if you could learn the whole system from the forms, do you think any instructor would put them on YouTube? Exactly. Like, do you think, I mean, you have some of the top Wing Chun people in the world how all post their forms on YouTube. If you could, if you could look at those forms and practice those forms, and now say you're a Wing Chun person, they wouldn't be there. The the, the, the forms wouldn't be up there. I always, and you may disagree, because like I said, I'll, you know, I'll bow to you when it comes to Wing Chun information. I always look at everything as, as far as Wing Chun goes, this quote unquote secrets are in the drills. Yeah. Because the secrets is the hard work. 
yeah, that's the, the secret to Wing Chun is the hard work, is the Kung Fu. And, right. and that's the secret. People say to me, like, what's the secret? You know, there, do you know any secrets to Wing Chun? Yeah, you got to work hard. You know, which yeah. is, that's why the forms are a, a library. The forms are an alphabet. <laughs> but, the, you know, the drills teach you the phonics. The drills teach you how to use everything. Sure, sure. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, my students, especially my advanced students, I always have to remind them about, you know, now that they're learning Buji or Wooden Dummy is not, not to forget that it's the mastery of the basics that's going to really determine whether they become a really elite practitioner of the art and not uh, how, how much they know about the advanced stuff. Uh, and like, for example, today's Friday. Friday, I normally don't teach too many private lessons, but what I like to do on Fridays is go to my school and train because Friday is the only day during the week where we don't have regular group classes. And so there's no one there. So I have my whole school to myself. It's, it's like the closest thing to a Zen moment I get in my very busy week. And, you know, besides my normal fitness routine or my, you know, practicing, you know, forms or doing, you know, whatever is my standard routine, I practice like one or two things from Wing Chun and I just repeat it hundreds of times right. again and again and again. And I think that if my students actually could see how mundane the practice is to keep up these skills, I, I think they would not quite be as shocked when they see the results because it's like, yeah, the reason I can do this is because, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years and I still practice it like I learned it last week. Right, and, sure. And, and, and I think they, they forget that because they always think it's, you know, like Bruce Lee said, uh, you know, it's not uh, a, a, an accumulation, you know, it, it's it's actually a stripping away of the inessentials and, and those inessentials are awkward movement done by lack of reps. The more reps you have, the more streamlined everything is and practice is the only way to get that and the brain feeds off of reps and your nervous system needs this in order to perform anything well and um, that type of training, I think if, if you put a, a video cam in my school while I'm doing one of my you know two-hour Friday sessions by myself, uh, which is separate from my training with my partners, it would be boring as all hell to watch. Because <laughs> it's, me, it's me doing one movement again and again in front of the mirror, then on the dummy, then the same movement on the heavy bag, then the same movement done with footwork, and then the same movement done with maybe some other piece of equipment, and that's it for like two hours. You know, and I think people don't don't realize how much how much work goes into it. Uh, I I couldn't agree more. I'm you know, I heard a story. I have no idea of how true it is or the validity of the story at all. But it it made a point, and I and I kind of do believe the story. So I'm gonna say it. Um, when I was learning MMA Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, someone told me a story about uh, a group of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belts hiring Hicks and Gracie to come do a private seminar for them. And it was like 10 Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belts and Hicks and Gracie comes in. So, you know, he comes in and he thinks, like, well, what are we going to work on? And they, they were kind of like looking for this like awesome shit that they're going to be doing. You know, you got Hicks and Gracie coming in. And what he did is he got on, he got, he got on his back and he had someone take mount and he did upa. You know, some people call it right. Oompa. Yeah, it's the, the basic mount escape. Yeah. Literally the first mount escape that they teach a white belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Right. And he said, this is what we're going to work on. And they were all like, uh, we all know that. We've all been teaching it for the last, you know, 15 years. And he was like, okay. And then he mounted each one of them and none of them can get out from his mount. Of course. Of course. You know? So they spent the rest of the weekend doing the first escape taught in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I remember hearing that story. And again, I have no idea how true it is, but it kind of sounds true. It, it, it sounds like a Hickson story. I mean, I actually know, uh, I have a, a friend of mine who, who trains at Hickson School in Los Angeles, and uh, that sounds pretty spot on to kind of how he teaches. I mean, he's a real martial artist, focused on the basics. The, you know, some people say his BJJ is a little old school, but, uh, I mean, he's still the, I mean, in my opinion, he's the best. And from the Gracie family, I mean, he's really, I think he's the best of all of them. Well, again, you know, and so that whole, that whole story just, like, was one of those, like, light bulb moments for me. Yeah. You know? Like, as a martial artist, I'm sure you've had them over time. Like, you get these, you'll hear a story and you'll say, oh, wow, you know, holy shit, yeah, that makes sense. Let me think about that. And sure. 
I, and I think it's sometimes not just a story. Sometimes it's something that happens to you. Sometimes it's something you witness in your class. Sometimes you, it could be something a student does that you never thought of, and you say, holy shit, I never thought of that before, you right. know? Right. And, and I think that's why one of the best ways to learn is to be a good seeing. Yes. To be around people learning the basics, and you're going to try and help them learn the basics, and that and I say seeing just means uh, older brother, older, older yeah, student. Here. Yeah. And um, just trying to help other people learn the basic basics will just lead light bulbs for you going off. At least it did for me. There was uh, many times in my life as a, martial art, art, as a martial artist and a martial arts instructor where I've had light bulbs go off while just trying to help someone learn something that I thought I understood perfectly and um, and I think that's uh, it's an important part of martial arts and being around other people it's why it's why I, it's one of the reasons why I feel like you can't learn a martial art on your own right you know people like uh, I've, I've had um, I've had uh, instructors from other systems contact me over 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 the time and saying they want to learn Jeet Kune Do and um, they want to come take you know, privates with me, and I'm all for it. I like money, so you know, sure thing. You know, Lori needs a new car, um, and I always tell them, bring your top guy, bring somebody with you that you trust, and make sure it's somebody that you don't mind looking bad in front of. And you can always tell who really wants to learn because right. those guys you never hear from again. Right. And and I don't say it to be a jerk. I say it because you, what what what. What we do um, in JKD, at least as far as what I've learned from Steve Golden, is very heavy into distance, timing, rhythm, and a series of strategy called the five ways of attack. And to grasp that, I always say it's like university level Jeet Kune Do. And no one gets it the first time. It just... Right. Even if you hear it and say, yeah, you know what? That kind of makes sense. I owe that. Yeah, I could do that. Understanding it and performing it are two different things. Sure. So you have to bring somebody with you that's going to get their perspective of the drill. And that when you go home, it's two people exchanging information as opposed to one guy saying, okay, this is what Sean said to do. You know, and the the instructor needs to be able to look bad in front of their student right absolutely and, you know that's a that's a big thing that's not an easy thing oh you know the uh the addendum to my story about that student who uh wanted to buy the long pole is even funnier so that that student stayed with me for one month uh then he had his, his strange long pole question which then i then asked him to show me his wooden dummy which right, right, right. ended up being pretty funny and then after he showed me his wooden dummy. I, I basically, you know, told him, "Look, you just you need to focus on the basics right now. Don't worry about stuff like wooden dummy. I'll teach it to you when you're ready." And then he goes, "Oh, thank you." And then he like, you know, kind of bows to me and he's like, "You know, it's always these guys who live in some kind of Shaw Brothers fantasy." And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm the biggest fan of kung fu and I love traditional Chinese uh, culture and customs sure. and I get it more than any anybody else. But sometimes people go over the top thinking that that's the important thing, like to to do all the these uh, Qing Dynasty hand symbols and, and, and bow and, and all this kind of stuff. It's like, just show up to my school and practice, man. That will make me happy. Um, so he, this, after this, he, you know, he, he gives you this big thank you. Thank you for setting me straight, Sifu. Thank you. You know, I'm so lucky to be learning under you, so on and so forth. And then I never see the guy again. Wow. Okay, and this is after, a, and it's actually very rare that we have somebody only trained at our school for a month. Uh, if, if people join our school, you know, we normally keep them for a bit of time. We have very low attrition rate. Uh, people tend to stick around. We're, we're, we have a very good program. Uh, so I thought it was kind of strange. And the guy sends me a letter <laughs> written, like, written in on, like, lined paper and in pencil. And apparently this guy was an English teacher, and it's chock full of spelling mistakes. It's oh, like, God. and it's complete, and he's telling like, you know, he had been there for a month at my school, and he didn't learn any real chi sao, and he had still not learned the wooden dummy, and 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 basically was a complete 180 degree uh, turn from you know the last conversation I had with him, which was like, thank you for setting me straight, da da da, sure. da. and 
says, you know, and, and nobody over there um, is at my level. Again, if you saw this guy, he he he, uh, he looks like he looked like Mr. Magoo with like croakies glasses on. I mean, it was like. It, 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 so, it, yeah, it, I agree it, with it, you. Nobody here is at your level. None of yeah, us suck that bad. Exactly. <laughs> and he couldn't. And the funny thing is for somebody with all of his experience, he claimed to be a black belt in Shotokan and all this kind of stuff. He couldn't. He couldn't do anything. He couldn't follow any instructions. He was unbelievably uncoordinated. So he leaves and he writes this ridiculous letter where he just like totally. But it was so funny because it was chock full of spelling mistakes and chock full of grammatical errors. And the guy's supposedly an English teacher at the high school level, right? And I shit thee not, Sean. At the bottom of the letter, he signs it. Okay, he means to sign it. I, I'm not going to say his name, so it's not right, it's fine. But let's just say his name is Steve, which it's not. He signs it, The Last Dragon. Oh, my God. Steve. But on top of that, okay, he doesn't even spell dragon correctly. <laughs> he spelled it Dragron. Oh, nice. So, That's awesome. The Last Dragron, okay? And then so we don't hear from this guy, all right, which is fine. I actually showed it to all my instructors. I think we even put the uh, letter on my wall in my office because it was so hysterical. Like, oh, when my instructors would come by, we would like recite it to each other because it was so funny. Uh, and, and never since or before had anything that ridiculous happened. That's just so awesome. A and month you- later, I see a flyer in the martial arts store in Chinatown. And this dude is standing there holding a long pole and he calls <sighs> himself Grandmaster. All right? Saying that he is like the top Wing Chun practitioner in New York City. And also he even claimed to be teaching Leung Ting Wing Chun, which at that time I was still in the Leung Ting organization. I was the only representative for Leung Ting in New York. So he was actually making a claim which was he didn't have any right to and you know the association right. could have taken action. Uh, and, and he called himself Grandmaster. So I said, hey, after one month of training in my school, I already produced a Grandmaster. There you go. Be pretty good, right? That's going to look good on a business card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really funny. And then he addendum to that story after this guy goes out and calls himself a grandmaster and writes this ridiculous letter to my school. Six months later, he calls the school wanting to do an intro lesson. And, oh, my God. And he says he got one of our flyers, and he wants to do a free intro lesson. A free intro lesson is for first-time students. He sure. already joined our school. And then when my assistant took his name down and saw it was the same guy, he says, hey, are you that guy who trained at our school for a month and now you call yourself a grandmaster? And he's like, yes. He goes, you're not welcome at our school, man. What are you crazy? You wrote us that letter. <laughs> and he goes, you mean Sifu won't accept me? And then he's like, come on, man. And the guy actually tried to rejoin our school after having the audacity of calling himself a grandmaster. It was like the most re- one of the most ridiculous stories I've had in the 15 years of teaching. That's just freaking crazy. insane. Yeah, you know, I guess when, whenever you run a school, especially here in New York City, you're going to run into your share of uh, whack jobs and you for know sure. some, sometimes they feel bad for like some of the guys that are not whack jobs they're just they're really well-meaning guys but they just can't think outside the box you know I, I had a guy come down who um, is a JKD instructor under somebody now he wasn't at the time but um, he came down here and um, he's from New Jersey and if he complains about the podcast, I'll say his name next week. Um, he came down here one night, and uh, it was um, when we were in more of a uh, an MMA type uh, training philosophy as opposed to straight JKD, which I and wing chun that I do now. And um, I've never been a fan of a drill named Hubud, Hubud, Lubud. Okay, right. I've never been a fan of the empty hand version of that drill. For, I just don't find a lot of value in it. I think uh, maybe as a, a stick drill, absolutely. A knife drill, absolutely. As an empty hand drill, never been a fan of it. So yeah, he I came completely, down. I completely agree with you on that, by the way. I've also learned that, and, and uh, it's not uh, not my cup of tea either. But again, right. it, it's Listen, all contextual. Yeah, exactly. Right. So he came down one day, and he asked me, you know, he joined up, and after being here for a couple of weeks, he asked me if uh, he was surprised we weren't doing Hubud Lubud. And I said that um, we, it's, not, it's not a drill that I'm a fan of. Um, I explained to him why I wasn't a fan of the drill. Um, and uh, the differences between that and what I thought between the Hubud and Chisau, because in his head, it was the same thing. Sure. And uh, so I explained what, why I thought they were different. 
And um, and then I asked him, you know, what do you feel you're getting out of Hubud? And he, he, I could tell he wasn't ready for the question. And first thing he comes out of his out of his mouth is, well, it's fantastic for dealing with a lead hook punch that you can touch, you know, catch it, pass it, and counterattack, and a nice smooth action, and that Hubud Lubud teaches you that for a lead punch, lead hook punch, anything like that. Hubud Lubud teaches him to deal with that. And I was like, all right, listen, at least he had a valid reason, you know. And so I said, oh, how long are you doing Hubud? And he said, oh, you know, a couple years now. I was like, all right, cool. Hold on. Hey, Rocco, come here. Now, Rocco was one of the guys that trained downstairs with me. He's a great guy, a really good, you know, fighter. And I said, listen, punch him in the face. You know, he was already a student, you know. I was like, you know, don't hurt him. But, like, you know, everybody had gloves on. I'm like, you know, just tap him, you know. So he's like, all right. So, like, you know, they move into the middle of the, the floor, and they're moving around. And, and this poor kid is getting punched, like, you know, eight, ten times right in the head face. Pop, 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 pop. And Rocco's not hurting him, but he's definitely hitting him on the chin, the forehead, not in the nose or anything. So when he was done, I said, all right, all right, stop. And I'm like, so what are your thoughts on that? And he looked crestfallen. And I, and I felt bad for him. And I'm like, in my head, I'm saying, all right, so now he's just realizing that he spent two years doing a drill that really didn't do for him what he thought it was going to do. Right. So I said, so, you know, so what do you think? Like, what, you know, what's your thoughts on this? And he looked at me and says, you know, I'm embarrassed to say it, but clearly I'm not doing enough hoobud. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I'm going to like, refund your money. More cowbell. <laughs> right, right. Exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> you know, so the, his instinct told him that he really sucked at what he thought, what he, at this one thing that he thought he'd been learning for the last two years. And the reason that he sucked at it is because he wasn't doing it enough. And again, this is not an indictment on the drill hoobud. Let's just say I don't know enough about hoobud to find value in it. So I'm not to upset people that have hold that, that drill dear to their hearts. But he was a big pro- proponent of the drill. And when it failed him, when he didn't have the attributes that he thought that it would develop, it, it, his first thought was that he wasn't doing it enough. Sure. You know, instead of working on head movement and, you know, bending his knees and counterpunching and entering and timing, he wanted to go into this dead pattern drill. That was, uh, it was, I felt bad. And like I said, you, you find that more and more. You know, lots of well-meaning people that just can't think through a, a problem. They, you know, they, um, they think too much maybe, well, but not I, clearly. I, I, yeah, well, maybe the problem's a little bit more the opposite, is that they um, they think that their martial art consists of 10 of these drills, 5 of this, 6 of that, and basically they, they just need to learn all these sets and then they kind of have it, uh, as opposed to thinking that, because um, there's also a difference too, uh, happens in Wing Chun as well, and uh, it's a difference between getting really good at a drill or learning that which the drill is trying to teach you, the, the attribute or the skill or whatever, because pe- people can do a drill superficially until they're blue in the face and not and it not actually change them at all. Or they can see something a little bit deeper and see an action in there that uh, the drill is trying to kind of get into their brain or, into, or to help them perform uh, uh, more accurately or, or, or consistently or whatever and then they, they understand the idea that the drill is trying to teach them and then they really understand it right. as opposed to they just have these drills, the X number of drills memorized and they haven't learned anything from them and, and you know if they're not learning something from the drill they're just learning a bunch, it's just a bunch of bolt on parts they're just trying to build a car with a bunch of random bolt on parts right right and, sure and of course it doesn't work right no, no very very true I, I remember when I first started um the first time I trained with Matt Thornton, who is freaking brilliant, okay? I don't know if you've ever trained with Matt Thornton, know who he is. For Straight Blast Gym. Well, Straight Conor, Blast Gym. Conor Matt McGregor's Thornton. is also from Straight Blast Gym, right? They're like all the Conor McGregor and his old team there. Right, exactly right. So Matt Thornton has been to my house a few times. He, um, I ran a, a training group under him a number of years ago. I'm going to say 10 years ago 
for a couple of years, maybe two or three years. I, uh, I ran a training group under Matt Thornton. And easily one of the most brilliant men and martial artists I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. He was so smart. And one of the things he teaches in regards to drill drills is something called the I method. I don't know if you've ever heard of it or whatever. It, it was new to me. And he, he, he talks about aliveness, and he teaches aliveness, at least back when I trained with him. He, he taught aliveness using something called the I method. And at first I was kind of like, okay, I don't get this whole idea of aliveness because I thought in my head that aliveness meant beat the shit out of each other. Oh, okay, yeah, we train alive. We put on gear, mouthpiece, headgear, and beat the shit out of each other. That's being alive. No, that was being stupid. And so when I was talking to Matt about it, and he asked me to talk about, you know, my personal background, he says, so, Sean, you know, have you ever played any sports or anything? So I said, well, I, I wrestled. He goes, you're a wrestler? I'm like, yeah, I, I wrestled for years in school. He goes, well, then you know what aliveness is. And I'm like, no, Matt, I don't know what aliveness is. And he's like, yeah, you do. You know what aliveness is. If you're a wrestler, you, know what, you just don't know what is that. And I'm like, well, what, what are we talking about? And he talked to me about something called the I method, which was um, introduce, isolate, integrate. And it's how combat sports are taught. It's how any anything where resistance is used is taught and um, at least I know this is how I learned wrestling and so like introduce isolate integrate I'm going to introduce this escape from the mound right UPA that we talked about before with Hicks yeah. so this is it this is the mechanics of the drill this is the, of the movement you're going to you know post the bottom of your feet you're going to thrust your hips forward straight up and, and you're going to turn, and this is actually the mechanics of what you're going to do. And that's the introduction stage. And then there was the isolation stage. That is, now I'm going to get on my back, and someone's going to take mount on me. And at first, they're going to offer little or no resistance. And then as I get better at the movement, they're going to give a progressively harder resistance for me to work against. Sure. And as a you know, they they didn't call them sea hings, but as a as a as an, an older student or a more advanced Brazilian Jiu Jitsu guy, they would you know be able to read what level you were at in real time and just be a little bit above that. And that whole idea of the, on the the isolate part was where the progressive resistance was really introduced and and then integrate. Once you got to the point where you could do it in the drill, now you did you rolled. You did some live rolling, and inevitably someone took mount on you, and you had to try now to integrate that movement that you just learned, or you've been working on, into a, into a, in, into a real. Uh, I don't want to say combat situation, but in, in a real alive manner, in in something that's you're resisting. It's two guys here of, of approximately the same weight class that are trying to resist each other. Sure. And full resistance. And that, that method of training can be applied to anything that actually works. Right. It's, it, to me, that is one of the best litmus tests for martial arts. Because nothing that's bullshit will survive progressive resistance. Right. Because everything works with no resistance. But once someone starts to pro slowly, progressively add more and more realistic resistance, that becomes the bullshit detector. And... It's 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 something I've never forgotten, and it's something I will do for the rest of my life. This Matt Thornton's I method is, I'm telling you, anybody listening right now, Google a lot Matt Thornton, aliveness I method, eye opening. It was one of those eye opening things, and I just wanted to get that out there. <laughs> right. That no, that's really fantastic. Uh, it's I think how a lot of the better schools are presenting information because well, it makes sense. I mean, you know. The old school, here, you just learned this five minutes ago, now try it, you know, against the Lions. Well, that doesn't work, and I think a lot of people learn it that way, too. Um, you know, you have one faction, like, that just do everything with very little resistance, and then they think that they can do stuff in real fighting that they can't really do. And then you have the other faction that's like, you know, the macho-type gym is like, okay, I just showed you this thing five minutes ago, now you got to be able to pull it off, you know, full power, full tilt, having not gone through that kind of progressive... 
uh, resistance and integration as well. I mean, you have kind of two factions that both get it wrong, and I think that that method is really the, um, I really hit the nail on the head, and I think that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, because it really, it, it works in real timing. So, because even when there's progressive resistance, you can you can resist up to a point and still have real timing, real energy. You know, like if I'm working with you on, me and you were just doing a jab drill. I don't have to punch you in the face. You don't have to punch me in the face. Full blast for me to know that, hey, I was open. But we're moving around. There's no set pattern. You're throwing out a punch. I'm trying head movement. I'm, 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 moving, I'm moving my upper body. I'm bending my knees. In, in an alive manner, there's, there's nothing pre-programmed here. And when, when we could do that in what we do, Wing Chun and Jeet Kune Do, that's how you produce fighters as opposed to robots, as opposed to guys that live in a fantasy world. And, I mean, you know, it's, it's almost, spend, it's spend almost sad. Trolling, yeah, and, and, and spend their time trolling each other on the internet. For- right, exactly right. That, though, but those are the guys that do nothing but fight on the internet. It's, you know, they all have the, they all have the yellow and black tracksuit. They all, it's, you know, and listen, I have nothing against guys that collect Bruce Lee memorabilia. I think it's awesome. I collect Sherlock Holmes stuff. I'm a Sherlock Holmes dork. You know, some guy may collect Bruce Lee stuff. This guy may collect Superman stuff. All that's awesome. But when we're talking about martial arts, there's something there. In addition, I tend to separate Bruce Lee and martial arts. Sure. And... Because there's, to me, Bruce Lee the man who you could be a fan of, and then there's Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do, which is something separate. So I find that a lot of these guys gravitate towards the bullshit. <laughs> you know, like they have every Bruce Lee doll, but they can't throw a fucking punch. Right, 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 sure. And all the ones they then what's was worse than that and then I'm sorry I'll get off my soapbox is the guys that they can throw every fucking punch and they can punch hard and excuse the F word I, they, they, they punch hard but they've never taken a punch why? because all they do is punch heavy bags and focus mitts right they've never taken a punch if nothing else I know I can get punched in the face and keep on going because <laughs> my defense is that bad I've been punched in the face a whole bunch of times I don't even know my kids birthdays anymore so it's <laughs> But I, you know, I've learned, you know, and it's, um, and I'll always owe that to Matt Thornton and, and, awesome. and the Straight Blast Gym guys for that uh, I method of learning. It was. I, I would love to maybe in a future podcast we we just talk about, um, you know, your experiences with Matt Thornton and that time. I think that'd be really beneficial as well. Uh, it was it was brilliant. I, I I could spend hours talking about Matt Thornton. Awesome. He was um, Matt Thornton and Steve Golden have been for me. You know, were the first two guys that took me serious in the martial arts, regardless of my weight. Um, and then afterwards came Tom Kagan. And to me, those were those three gentlemen are the three pillars of me. You know, um, I was with Steve Golden for a long time, and I was doing what he does, and I still to this day do what he does. And I always, I will always love Steve as both a teacher and a friend and, and, and a father. But when I think I said in one of the the, the earlier podcasts that one time I got taken down by a student and choked out in front of all my students. <laughs> so that led to me writing Matt Thornton in an email one day. This is back when people used email and said, uh, you know, he knew me from the forms. He knew I wasn't a jerk, you know, and. Um, I said, listen, Matt, I, uh, he had three DVDs out at the time. As a matter of fact, they weren't even DVDs. They were VHS tapes. That's how old I am. Wow. And there was like his aliveness tape. It was, yeah, he had aliveness. He had stand-up, clinch, and ground. And so I, I was, you know, I was broke. I was newly married. And I remember writing him an email saying, all right, Matt, I want to buy one of your tapes. I'm pretty happy with my stand-up. Should I buy the aliveness, the clinch, or the ground tape? And he said, what's your address? I'll send you what I think you need. And I was like, are you kidding me? He's no, I'm serious. I like you. You're a nice kid. Wow. And he ended up sending me all the whole, the whole collection. Wow. And I'm watching it, and I'm saying, I mean, literally, I was watching it, and I was, 
holy shit. This is exactly what I need. And I, you know, I, I brought Matt in, and you know what? You're right. I should we'll save this for a future podcast because I can literally talk about it for hours. I'd love to, you know, I think we should all talk about, you know, some of the uh, people that helped change our lives in a martial arts wise, yeah. good, good or bad. But, uh, yeah, I'd definitely like to um, go further with that one day. Sure. I think also uh, we're approaching how much time, how much time would we be going on today? Uh, so far, we're almost at about an hour already. Wow. So I think um, maybe before we wrap it up, I think there was one question. Didn't you get a question from somebody? Yes, we actually we got um, we had two questions for us to discuss. Oh, okay. Okay, so let me, let me get it right here. You, we, we, we got a question from, and forgive me if I say the name wrong, Sifu Johan Saznuk? Yeah, that's actually my first Wing Chun instructor when I was a teenager before I uh, really? studied Learning Tang Wing Chun. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool. actually cool. He also wrote the forward for my uh, for my book, for my book that just came out, which is actually funny. I didn't realize he had sent you a question. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so he sent a question, and it actually sounds like a, a question for you because you're probably more up on this than me. It says, um, the outtakes from the Bruce Lee movies would show the work that would that went into making the movies and better display his phenomenal skills. Do you think they will ever be made into a documentary or movie? Uh, well, that's a good question. Uh, I think that they don't have any of the outtakes from the earlier films because uh, they didn't really keep stuff like that then. And that's also the days before uh, digital. The, the film that they have the most outtakes from is actually the film that he never completed, which is Game of Death. Um, and all that extra footage from that final fight scene with the yellow tracksuit, um, which was found years later, was actually found by my uh, good friend, uh, Bay Logan in Hong Kong. He used to work for Media Asia, which was essentially, I believe, a subsidiary of Golden Harvest. And he was kind of consolidating all the, their uh, films and their archives. And he was also doing um, a DVD commentary for all those films. And my friend Bay Logan is like, the authority on Hong Kong cinema. I mean, what he he's forgotten more about Hong Kong cinema in the last year than I'll ever know in my entire life. Um, he's just incredible. He's actually the one who found that extra footage wow. of, of death. He was just. He told me he was like hanging around Media Asia, and he said, "Hey, do you guys have any? You know, where's the footage of Bruce Lee? Do you guys have anything from Bruce Lee?" And he was. They kind of just sent him to the room where they had the old reels or whatever, and he found. A game wow. of death real and he started playing it and that's when he saw the other characters james tien who they were cut out of the the 1979 version of it and, and and he saw all these outtakes and and all these extra scenes and and um you know the fight with kareem abdul jabbar was much much more extended it had the you know that he had that light sensitivity so bruce was poking holes in the wall like none of that was used in the film and bay was the one who found that um and i don't think he found anything else even if you think there were three or four interviews Bruce Lee did with Hong Kong TV, which you can see like where he breaks the board on Hong Kong TV and all that yeah, kind of right, stuff. Yeah, right, right, right. None of that stuff exists anymore because the they did not keep that footage in, in Hong Kong. They didn't. They never archived that old footage. They had no wow. idea Bruce Lee was going to be the huge star that he was, and they would actually um, destroy the old film because they didn't feel like uh, storing it. And so um, that's why you can only see basic still shots or you can see things that may, were maybe filmed off the screen. Um, but you will actually never see um, any of those interviews he did, like uh, Enjoy Yourself Tonight, which was like one of the biggest variety shows in Hong Kong. Bruce was on there a couple times. You will never see that footage. It's gone. It's, it's just... It's, that's a shame. It's, yeah, that's a, that's so such a shame. It really is a shame, considering uh, how valuable that stuff would be, uh, given you know Bruce Lee's uh, never-ending popularity. I mean, it's really a shame how much stuff has been lost that really um, is. That's due to negligence. So, um, what was the other question? Well, the other question was actually by uh, my instructor, Steve Golden. Okay. And his question was, "What's the difference between Wing Chun and Jeet Kune Do?" Oh God. Okay. I think we're done for tonight. Right. <laughs> well, so that's going to be answered on our next podcast. Yeah, that sounds like a pr that we have got to dig deep for that one there. Yeah, I actually. Um, started to map out an answer because I know Steve so the answer yeah. better be right because I'm going to get in trouble if it's not and there's <laughs> no shot that it's going to be right but it's going to require a lot more uh, time than we have left sure absolutely what I wanted to leave as a, a little teaser to my Jeet Kune Do friends and 
uh, and something for the Wing Chun people to think about as well, is a little bit where my answer is going to go with that. And in it, if you'll indulge me for a couple of seconds here, in 1967, Bruce Lee wrote a letter to Taki Kimura. In fact, you can find the letter in the book Letters of the Dragon, edited That's by John my Little. My favorite book of all of them. Okay, so on page 44, there's a letter to um, Taki Kimura. And in it he writes, here's the full paragraph. My mind is made up to start a system of my own. I mean a system of totality, embracing all, yet guided with simplicity. It will concentrate on the root of things, rhythm, timing, distance, and embrace the five ways of attack. Wing Chun is the starting point. Chi Sao is the nucleus. And they are all supplemented by the five ways. That's going to be my answer to Steve Golden. But in a, in a more clear and concise um, way, hopefully. But I, I really would like for some of our listeners, JKD listeners, Wing Chun listeners, to listen to that part again. Uh, or pull out the book and read that paragraph. That's the basis of what I do. That there, that one paragraph is the jumping off point to university level Jeet Kune Do. To getting to the point where you're no longer saying, oh, okay, let me try this. No, that didn't work. Let me try this. No, that didn't work. What, what, what that paragraph did, that paragraph was my textbook in learning from Steve Golden. I can't tell you the amount of times I went back to that one paragraph to find the answers to his questions. I look forward to hearing from that. I think you're, you're far more qualified to answer that question than I am. I don't, I don't think my experience in Jeet Kune Do qualifies me to, to say what the difference of the... I, I can just talk about Wing Chun and that's about it. Well, <laughs> you, have, you have the experience in both. I don't really have that. My, my experience and exposure to JKD is extremely limited. <laughs> well, that's going to change, right? Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so in the next podcast, we're going to talk about um, what, what the difference is between Jeet Kune Do and Wing Chun. Awesome. And we're going to you know, talk about, uh, I would like to also talk about some of the, what I believe are some of the biggest misconceptions about Jeet Kune Do. Sounds good. And um, that'll all be next week. Awesome. And, and uh, I look forward to looking online to please post your questions. We will answer. We will. We will do our best to answer your questions. Not that we yeah, know all the answers, but we'll do our best to try and answer them. Yeah, we're on Facebook now. Just uh, go to Facebook, look up Dudes of Kung Fu, and you will see our shiny faces there. Like the page, send us questions to the Dudes of Kung Fu page uh, on Facebook, and also, um, well, if you're listening to this podcast, then you're already set up. But just so you know. We are on uh, iTunes. We're on the Android format. We are on Podbean, Stitcher. We're we're everywhere now. We're like legit. <laughs> it's, it, yeah, it's really it's it's cool. We've had we've had more downloads than I thought I would than, than I thought it would be. I'll uh, I'll talk yeah, to you about that later. That's actually pretty all, cool. They're probably all our friends listening to them five times. <laughs> actually, it's my mom. <laughs> awesome, cool man. Well, I look forward to doing this again next week. Yep, talk to you next week, brother. All right, take care. Have a good one. All right, bye-bye.